This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Right now it's 7.02 on Triple R and you're with Bite Into It. Welcome. Hi, Dan. Hi, Vanessa. Happy ha- Yes Day. Happy Yes Day. Congratulations to um, everyone out there who uh, voted yes. And everyone who campaigned and supported uh, all of our LGBTIQA plus uh, community, bro- community yeah. because um, it's, been a, it's been a tough time. And, it's been um, a really emotional day. It's been a very just, emotional day. Just writing out all of the waves of news and reactions, but um, we're going to push on and um, hopefully we're a bit of a soundtrack to you celebrating. Coming up tonight, we'll be speaking to Tim Bright. He's from Academy XI, which is an edutech startup with really exciting things going on that you could get involved with over summer if you were so inclined. Mm, Intriguing. Yeah. And uh, before we get to that, we are going to cover a little bit of news. Now, Bitcoin has been tremendously interesting to follow lately because it has been very volatile. Mm. So Bitcoin Cash is a, a particular type of Bitcoin, which crashed after a wild weekend surge. Uh, so Bitcoin Cash is one type of digital currency. It's uh, a would-be rival to the original Bitcoin, and it briefly soared as high as $2,500 per Bitcoin Cash piece, uh, only to drop about 60% at the start of the week. Um, so this is different to the original Bitcoin. This is a forked off type of currency. Uh, the original Bitcoin, meanwhile, fell as low as $5,550 a piece, um, but it's now uh, recovered and is trading around $6,700. So these these figures are in US dollars because most of the reporting is it's a little bit easier. There's already mm. so many numbers to, to figure out. But... Um, what is really going on with this sort of volatility in the market? It's it's actually about fights between different cryptocurrency type of insiders about a proposed update to the core design of Bitcoin. Interesting. Yeah. So because people are arguing about that, it inherently you know influences the stability of the currency and what they think the future value will be. Therefore, people you know start um, speculating. As, as one does in in, a, in an open market, particularly one that is as uh, unregulated as that is the big of the Bitcoin market. Yeah. So the Bitcoin Cash supporters have said that the surge in support reflected an ideological stance in favour of their currency, while other people were saying that even um, the volatility that you were seeing compared to uh, Bitcoin original um, <laughs> amounted to. Uh, people attempting to manipulate the market and the expression used was pump and dump. Now, I haven't heard expressions like this since watching Wall Street, so <laughs> this, is a bit, this is a bit far it's for me. A, a, a bit of a new uh, It's a bit area. of a reach, us covering the financial use, but it's pretty it's pretty important in the tech space. Absolutely, so. and, and it's interesting because um, seeing because, you know, Bitcoin standard, Bitcoin original, whatever you want to call it, has been, you know, the major player for so long that we're now seeing these, I suppose, uh, newer, maybe a little bit more, as well as they're, they're off, offering something slightly different, whatever that might be, and seeing how that actually plays around with this sort of what has been previously a very stable ecosystem for yeah yeah for Bitcoin for Bitcoin at the very I least. guess so Bitcoin Cash um, 
was originally assigned on a one-to-one basis to everyone who owned Bitcoin when it spun off from Mm. Bitcoin. But um, there was a lot of trauma at that point because many people were unable to access their their new Bitcoin cash kind of coin for a while and people needed to catch up. So the technology behind the currency needed to catch up for all these people with their wallets and their digital wallets and what have you. So um, it's, it's a real interesting issue for, you know, emerging technology at a time when I'm starting to hear my sort of mum and dad uh, <laughs> era of people talk about, oh, should I be investing in Bitcoin? It's like, only if you want to play. You yeah. mean gambling. Is that what you want? That's exactly. I was <laughs> yeah. having this discussion on the weekend with a, a friend of a friend who was like, oh, you know, I've been playing, I'm playing the Bitcoin market for the last five or six years. And I was like, is what's it like compared to playing the stock market is like a lot more unpredictable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, we'll keep um, following it as there's various forks in the cryptocurrency, but uh, investor beware. In, as always. Yes. Speaking of uh, developments in technology, um, Uber have uh, flagged that they are going or intending on bringing their Elevate flying car service to Sydney and Melbourne. Now, um, you may not have heard of Elevate. Essentially, it's a uh, ambitious program to create a, a sort of like more flying uh, taxi service. Um, it's Uber's plan is for it to be as cheap as getting a car with with their service. Uh, if you jump online and have a look at some of the uh, images of the vehicles they're intending on using, they look like big drones, basically. So they've got, you know, kind of four or five branch wings that hold have a whole lot of propellers on the top that will lift you up vertically and kind of take you to where you need to be. It's a bit disconcerting when you're not used to seeing that at a human scale. Yeah, it's kind of like I imagine I, the first time I ever see one, it's going to be like if I saw a gigantic spider. <laughs> that That's how I'm kind of anticipating the fear that I will know that I will feel when it comes through. But um, uh, these plans are a little way off. Um, the Civil Aviation Safety and Safety Authority has confirmed that they're ready to meet challenges, quote unquote, involved with regulating airspace for these new vehicles. However, um, we're probably not going to be waiting until at least 2023 to take your uh, Uber Elevate into town. When I first heard these stories, I thought it was a follow-on from um, Uber's offering during the racing season where they had, you know, like Uber helicopters that you could get to the races. But this is really very different. I mean, that autonomous flying drone type of capability. I mean, people building trust and that's going to be a very interesting thing. Particularly as we're seeing, you know, in recent weeks, uh, unmanned drones with cameras attached are being, you know, increasingly used for things that they should not be used for, whether it's spying on people or, um, you know, uh, some pretty dodgy stuff that we won't um, sort of detail, suggest (laughs) suggest or detail. Yeah. Um, If you're you're going to, I mean... If you're going to change that to a life-size drone where there's a person in there who is now going to be looking into your window, it's obviously going to be a lot more visible because it's the size of a bus. But <laughs> it's, it's um, you know, a little bit uh, more disconcerting because there's actually a person going to be yeah, sitting Yeah, the social there. mores will have to catch up. Oh, yes, as, as always, as it always is with uh, technology. Um, you Uber, I almost called them Uber. We, before the show, we, had, we were saying Uber as a joke and I just did it on it. Great. <laughs> um, Uber Chief Product Officer Jeff Holden uh, was in Sydney recently to discuss this uh, Uber Elevate project. He said that it is something we're dead serious about. So I think that's probably about as uh, much of a commitment as you're going to get from Uber. Um, and they're planning to launch in Dubai first, surprise, surprise, and in Dallas in the US in 2020. So we're a couple of years away from it being launched. Who knows uh, how long it'll take to get here. 
Dubai's pretty compact as cities go. So it is it, pretty compact. It surprises compact. me that they would need to launch a service like this there. Yeah, but have you, have you been on the roads in Dubai though? No. Yeah, there uh, you go. I see. <laughs> yeah, it's one okay. of those. But also, you know, Dubai famously is very kind of big. Vertical? Vertical. <laughs> well, yeah, that's one way to put it. But, I mean, you know, you see a lot of, you know, um, wing wingsuit flying and, you know, jetpack stuff going on in Dubai because, you know, it's a, it's a mecca for personal... Technology. Personal technology and personal aircraft. Mm. And, so, and the wealth to And the wealth to back it up, it. absolutely. Yeah. You, know, you, can, you can afford the oil if it's right there. So um, it, it should be very interesting to see whether, whether this, um, and I'm, I'm about to say this, but whether this takes off. Oh, <laughs> you went there. <laughs> There's a story about Snap, the uh, company behind tools like Snapchat. The CEO, Evan Spiegel, is redesigning Snapchat because it's too hard to use. Now I found I this article. I found this article really funny because we've known it's been too hard to, to use for a long time, and that was really seen as part of Snapchat's, you know, intentional uh, user experience I, I to appeal to really young people yeah. and um, almost to require a social translation element to to bring people on board. You know, friends would share a new feature they discovered with their friends, and the app wouldn't walk you through a new feature. Yeah, totally. it was by design. It seemed. It's, that's that's definitely how I felt. About it, and it's really been a barrier for me personally. I don't know how you feel about it, but like I, I barely use it because it is so inaccessible. My, I, I'm not adapting. I've got enough stuff in my life to learn. I don't need this. Well, famously, the youngest member of the Byte team was the one who um, managed to get most of us using it a little bit more functionally yes. and did train us in a lot of things and you know, teach us how to use like face masks and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> I'm, and I'm, I'm it was ridiculous taught. that we needed someone in their early 20s to translate <laughs> the technology to us. But not ridiculous because, it, like, as we were just saying, it seems like it was by design. It's, it's the cool kids who know. They're the ones who are using Snapchat and talking to each other through Snapchat because no one else can know about so it. So there's something really interesting going on now in that Even Spiegel wants to grow the business more and to do that he needs to think about accessibility in new ways. Mm. Um, they only added 4.5 million new users in the last quarter, which is a lot fewer than analysts were expecting, which affects the value of the company. Um, not only that, they're under increasing pressure from the Facebook-owned Instagram. Instagram having stolen a lot of their features, but made them a bit more usable. <laughs> and I think that ever since they've done that, I've really stopped using Snapchat mm. and have been quite content to to go the Instagram path. And I think we're seeing this across the board. So Recode has a really interesting article about this and the potential, you know, redesign that's going on. It they've really um, they're really tight-lipped about any updates to their product. Uh, I think that is still part of their marketing strategy. They they really want to be cool and, and mystical somehow. But with this new UX lens, it'll be interesting to see if they also change the marketing of that and have a few more explanatory parts of their app as well as the design changes themselves. Mm. So watch I mean, this space. Well, that's it. I suppose the best UX is intuitive anyway. So even if they were to, you know, create instructions, they could do it in a way that isn't obtrusive. So we'll, yeah, absolutely watch this space. Another space to be watching is uh, the digital inclusion space. Now, um, a new initiative has been launched by the government, who we don't hate right now because um, the vote went the right way. <laughs> um, I don't know if I thank the government for that. Yeah, I, no. I credit to the people. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but a three-year government initiative aimed at increasing the skills and confidence of older Australians using digital technology so that they're able to stay connected with their families and their friends and their communities um, was launched a week ago by the Minister for Social Services, um, Christian Porter. Now, uh, it's called Be Connected and it's um, building on the framework of an existing program, which is Broadband for 
for seniors. Um, it's going to see about $20 million in small grants over the next three years made uh, to community organisations uh, to join the network and deliver training uh, and support. It's a really, it's a, it's a great initiative. Um, it's, it, there's going to be a lot of peer-to-peer uh, -peer learning. So, um, you know, people actually sitting down and helping you taking you through the steps of using Snapchat, for example. Um, but it's um, it's something that is really important as we move to the, you know, digital society that we are fast becoming. Um, we can't have anyone be left behind. And, and, you know, the people who are at most risk of being left behind are, are older people in our community who may not be as... Um, literate with uh, the new technologies as they come along. Yeah, we really do rely, even on our show, on younger people to teach us <laughs> new things. And I think that never stops. Mm, absolutely. Now, um, the late, this uh, comes from following the latest Digital Inclusion Index, um, which we followed last year when it was first launched. Um, it's an initi initiative uh, by the Telstra Foundation and uh, a few other not-for-profits, um, basically talking about the health of Australia's digital uh, Space, I suppose. Um, the most and health in terms of like participation, participation across society. Absolutely, the, the the way that they are getting involved, how they get involved, how often they get involved, and what they're getting out of it. Right. Um, you know whether they're able to uh, inter access their uh, welfare payments online, or whether they um, are using emails or paying bills online, or still using traditional mail, that kind of thing. Um, so a couple of months ago in August, the Digital Inclusion Index, which I think is in its second year, um, has was released. Uh, it released its yearly report and uh, found that it. Older Australians are being left out. People over 65 are still scoring the lowest on digital inclusion. Um, so that, that that's across access. Affordability, which is a huge one, uh, because obviously, you know, we're looking at plans where, you know, if you're getting a, your broadband, particularly if you have an MBN plan uh, connected to your house, you're looking at up, upwards of $50 a month, which, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people can't necessarily afford if they're living by themselves on um, on social, uh, social welfare payments. Um and it's interesting, the cost to society when people have a gap in their digital literacy, because it actually affects their access of, you know, access to regular services, mm. but it also affects their access to participate in society fully, including the workforce. So a friend of mine uh, took a job for a while, helping to train people who'd been incarcerated mm. uh, with basic computing skills that they would need to integrate back into society. And it had real impacts for um, recidivism and keeping those rates low, people needed to be able to, you know, meet with their parole officers and their social workers and um, deal with government services, but also have online bank accounts, which some of them weren't that familiar with doing, you know, pay rent online, do all those sorts of basic things. Absolutely. And, you know, if, you, if we're talking about someone who might have been, you know, incarcerated for a, for a while, you know, all job of the, applications, everything. We're, 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 we're talking about things that have only become normal in the last five to 10 years. So if you've been out of society for that long, it's going to be a huge learning curve to come in and be expected to do all of this stuff on a piece of technology that you're not necessarily completely familiar with yourself. Yeah. Very interesting yes. times so in news. It, it I love is. that we've gone from, you know, high wealth sectors of the tech market right down to digital inclusion and user experience. Absolutely. And, and if you are interested in getting involved with the uh, big, 
be connected, um, you can definitely go online and uh, register here and just uh, as a community organisation to deliver the services that the Be Connected program will be uh, um, becoming involved with. Fantastic. Thanks for tuning in. We would love to welcome to studio Tim Bright. He is from Academy XI. If you haven't heard of them, they are a little edutech startup who are currently based in Sydney and Melbourne, uh, co-founded by Ben Wong and Shabelle Zitar. And uh, yeah, Tim's here to tell us all about them tonight. Welcome. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you here. So when did Academy XI first start up? Well, it's um, going on about two years old now. They um, began in Sydney and um, like all good startups, it was you know, based in a spare room in the in an office block in in, in Surrey Hills, and uh, they've built from there. So, uh, uh, started off with the two staff, with uh, Charbel and Ben working together, and has now grown to about twenty four of us, I think. Um, and uh, about nine months ago, moved down to to Melbourne and set up shop here in the very welcoming sort of startup community down here. And um, there's uh, five of us based here, and we've been going for about nine months now. Excellent. So in the Australian kind of edutech space, there are some people coming at it from like a hardware angle and a software angle and trying to, you know, change the way we learn from that point of view. But there's also been some, you know, big US companies come into our market and try and teach us how to do things. Uh, you're the first company I've come across that is really locally based who is trying to upskill Aussies in STEM. Uh, do you have a lot of competition out there or are you finding that there's a lot of um, appetite and demand for your services? Yeah, look, it's it's a great question. And there's, you know, the education market, the vocational education market is obviously uh, a, a massive one. And um, online a few years ago sort of boomed. And, um, you know, that's a great way to learn for, for many different types of disciplines. But um, we find, and, and interestingly, people coming from overseas sort of say that particularly Australians they've found enjoy a um, personal sort of face-to-face uh, connection. So um, XI sort of model of learning at the moment is entirely um, face-to-face and uh, we're looking at a a sort of blended model as we we go on and um, we're very proud to say that we just launched our um, platform internally a few days ago and hit that milestone um, and and that will be coming online soon enough. But yeah, it it is interesting that there isn't um, a significant amount of uh, organisations offering this sort of learning, um, as you say. And what, what we find is that our, our educational disciplines, we, we focus on the areas of sort of emerging design and technology. Um, and, and what we find is our, our disciplines um, are basically taking up the slack in the uh, workforce where we found that there is, is skills gaps. And um, often it is because of sort of digital disruption that these skills gaps exist. And so there is a, is a significant need for the training, largely in areas of sort of human-centered design, design thinking. Um, you know, we're talking about disciplines like UX design, service design, Um, things like this. It's great that you're talking about those because um, having gone through a more traditional computing uh, degree at a tertiary institution, definitely the market has completely changed. And even now, I don't see universities addressing a lot of these topics except in side elective sort of things that maybe run over summer. It's, it's It's still not part of core curriculum in any way. Uh, have you done a lot of research into university offerings and, and does that sort of back up 
know, what you've done? Have you sort of addressed the gaps there? Yeah, exactly. I think that you're spot on. And look, the universities, universities are innovating quickly now. And I think that they're catching up and there's some great examples out there of um, initiatives, not, as you say, not necessarily in the... Uh, core curriculum and you'll find, you know, there's a lot of incubators and accelerators and um, innovation labs within uh, universities, often offered to graduates actually, and um, it, it isn't necessarily part of their core curriculum. And I suppose that's the nature of how things move quickly. And, you know, I, I remember, you know, my brother's a data scientist and, um, you know, he graduated 20 odd years ago. But it was the same back then for him. When he was learning um, computer science, as it was called back then, he sort of found that the, the, the teachers were sort of one step behind. And, um, you know, I think that that's probably the nature of the beast. I mean, you know, you can go through the, the technological um, step points, you know, first it was the internet and then it was web 2.0 and then it was the apps and now we're into chatbots and conversational design and all these sort of different things. And so it's fair enough from a, a university's perspective to 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 be able to keep pace with the, the dramatic change that's going on. Um, I wonder how do you go about finding your experts to teach these courses? Yeah, well, our experts are, are, are pulled directly from the industry and that, and that was one of the, um, I think from my perspective, that's the most impressive thing, one of the most impressive things about what we do. Um, uh, we, we, we find them through our contacts, through our networks, through our partners, sometimes through a good old LinkedIn sort of uh, stalk. But um, more, more and more we're finding that these uh, trainers are from very high positions in 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 um, reputable companies, and from my perspective, I, I'm often intrigued as to why they decide to um, teach with us. Um, because you know these people are on sometimes pretty significant um, wages, and whilst of course we we pay our teachers, um, it, it can't be the only reason for why they're doing it. And we've often hypothesised it, it might be for their own professional development. It might be for that they're looking for um, resource gaps in their own organisations. It might even be in fact for their their own practice because as we know human-centered design sort of uh, practice is a lot to do with interacting with people it might even be about keeping up their skills in that area cool so um who are you seeing at the moment signing up for the courses that you're running is it like people who are in the industry is it people who kind of have little to no idea about what's going on and want to learn um and i suppose like are you, have you seen a difference in the kind of uh, i suppose students you've been getting to come along in sydney versus melbourne as you've moved across yeah, so it's 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 slightly different across the different courses that we offer, but you can make a few generalisations. Um, generally, we're finding that uh, the people that are taking our classes are, are employed. Um, I suppose you could say, you know, they're in in you know from their early 30s sort of onwards. Um, often it will be uh, employers that are um, sending their um, employees along to upskill in certain areas, um, and and otherwise it's for people that are working that are looking to transition to um, another career potentially even within the same organization or, or you know outside of that that that's the case for a lot of um, our, our courses um, some of the courses some of the more emerging ones that we're doing um, in particular sort of virtual reality design and augmented reality design that's a little bit different and the average um, uh, a student in those courses is slightly harder to define and 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 are coming with a little bit more interesting sort of use cases 
7.30 on Triple R. You're with Bite Into It with Dan and Vanessa. And we have Tim Bright in studio. He's from Edutech Startup Academy XI and he's telling us a little bit about the sort of um, digital and design courses that they run and how they help people upskill. So, Tim, with your courses, um, do they tend to run for the same lengths of time and be designed in similar ways or do they vary a lot? Yeah, mostly we've got we've got about three uh, three or four types of courses that that we write to one. The the core um, program that we run is our ten week part time course, and and we either run that on two nights a week or on on a Saturday over ten weeks, and that's a sort of fifty hour um, learning block. Uh, we do also do accelerated courses over a week, um, and that's generally when we work with um, specific uh, uh, organisations or partners to run those. Um, we also have a ten week intensive course, which is um, uh, we're about to start our first in January in Melbourne. They've been running a little for a little bit up in Sydney, and that is a full-time course, forty hours a week, ten weeks, pretty intense. Um, and we also run masterclasses and sort of you know short short sort of workshops uh, around uh, the, the specific area as well. And not to mention, of course, a huge roster of, of free events as well for the community. So that's that, I suppose that's where we go from. We go from the ten week, fifty hours a week hardcore sort of thing high value high intensity yeah mm. right right down to the the workshop and the masterclass and then the free sort of uh, events that we do with the community look and we um don't discount those free events either because some of them look absolutely incredible you've got one coming up um soon which i'm not sure if this is one of your free ones but it's called level up the rise of esports and it's an area that i think anyone who doesn't play esports or watch esports has real trouble grasping could you tell us a bit about that event yeah, for sure. That that is one of our free events coming up, and um, it's actually you know I'll get the plug in. It's next Wednesday, the twenty second. Um, so you know, she's clashing with our program, but what can we do? Yeah, we'll um, give you a pass. You can, that you can one always podcast time. us. Oh, you know, stream us you. afterwards. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, so yeah, no, look, esports is fascinating, and 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 this is what the, one of the fun things about my job actually is that often you're um, asked or or you're encouraged to look at areas of interest that you know nothing about, and esports was one of those areas that I, I knew very little about, and you and you quickly sort of um, come on come on board and, and and understand it. Look, Australia is 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 developing very very quickly in this area, and we're lucky enough to have at this event Nathan Mott, who was the founder and uh, CEO of Direwolves, um, which are one of Australia's Australia's bigger um, esports teams. Um, you know, I, I think they've won a bunch of League of Legends um, tournaments and um, you know name recognition uh, around the world, which is really really exciting. But we've also got some academics and um, some media execs on that panel, so a quite a wide ranging one. But the thing that we were sort of talking about the other day that that we're looking to raise in in the in the panel discussion is the idea that. It's a pretty serious endeavour these days. I mean, a, a lot of these players have high performance coaches. Um, you know, the AFL is 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 sponsoring a number of teams. Um, you know, the Adelaide Crows ha- have a team. Etihad Stadium is is looking at uh, holding some esports tournaments. It's it's no longer you know sort of small beans. It's pretty it's pretty exciting. And it's not just big money for the players. It's actually big money in terms of sponsorship, in terms of audience and eyeballs, in terms of, you know, people buying, you know, the sort of hardware they have to have to, to do this and, yeah. and getting involved in Twitch and watching these things. It's um, it's such a big market that the state government has really been, you know, supporting the community and, and investing on that side as well. So. I think it's great to see panels on something that's such a big sector, a growing sector for us, but that so many people know so little about. 
So what about, um, there's some other hot areas like blockchain. We were talking about Bitcoin before. Now we've stopped unpacking what a cryptocurrency is every time we talk about it on this show because it's just so complex and it takes too long. Now, you know, all of the cryptocurrencies at the moment are based on blockchain technologies. Um, what does your uh, blockchain bootcamp entail? Well, this came about because um, we ran our first ever uh, blockchain event a, a few months back and, you know, it, it sort of, you know, we, we couldn't fit everybody in. It, there's, a, there's a huge appetite as, as, you, as everybody um, with any interest in the sector understands. And what we found is that a lot of people are interested, um, but the community by and large still isn't quite across the detail. And so uh, one of the instructors running the workshop, PK Razam, um, he himself runs a startup that is uh, utilising blockchain technology. Um, I, he's, he's coming out with more announcements soon, but basically it's an, it's an energy-focused startup with the blockchain used to, to trade various current, trade various um, uh, equities. And he found that he was having a hard time pitching to his investors. He was having a hard time pitching to the, the community. He was having a hard time pitching to everybody because basically the, the, the knowledge isn't there. So in order to do that, something as simple as a pitch deck um, in order to convey understanding needs to be designed properly. And if you're talking about visual designers that don't have the the, 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 the understanding of the concept, they're going to find it hard to, to describe it in a pitch deck. Um, if your investors are, are, are struggling with the basic um, complexities of the blockchain, they're not going to be able to sort of invest in this product. So the blockchain bootcamp is basically about uh, getting everybody on the same level, upskilling people to the point of being able to talk about it, being able to understand it, and then, you know, maybe taking that step further to become, you know, a developer or investor or designer or whatever it is, however you get involved in the ecosystem. It's fantastic because on this show, we get a lot of feedback from our listeners and they have been asking so many questions about what the blockchain is, what cryptocurrencies are, and also, funnily enough, about how they can get investing in technology, particularly in Victoria. And when they ask us questions about investing in cryptocurrencies, we're like, we, we are not qualified to give any sort of advice. But um, some of them want to go through the route where they, say, become angel investors or yep. what have you. Yep. But you're absolutely describing this this gap that they have there, you know, the confidence gap, the enough, to, enough knowledge to invest sort of gap. Um, you know, is that... A really a big proportion of, of your audience or is that just a, a real kind of niche segment that you you think about sometimes oh, I think it's I think it's a, a significant proportion and you know we, we had to not kid ourselves that uh, a, a percentage of the audience that are going to come be coming to these blockchain events are there for the sort of the quick buck let's not let's not pretend that that's not the case but when you're dealing with a slightly more um, uh, savvy investor it's still they still need to have a little bit more information. And, you know, ICOs are a terrific example. And, and that's one of the elements that we're looking in the bootcamp. Um, um, and, you know, even ASIC is having a hard time sort of getting getting to terms with it. And they've basically outlined yeah. four different areas, you know, so this is sort of crowd rate, crowdfunding potentially. Potentially, you know, it's a, it's a token or an instrument for to operate in that um, marketplace or ecosystem. Potentially, it's straight up fundraising, and there's sort of legal legal areas around that. Whether you know that 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 
people are crossing their I's and dotting their T's in terms of a you know proper security. So there's there's different layers to it and different levels. And um, even understanding that is, is is putting it you at a better advantage um, to be able to go into uh, into the scene. Oh, and we haven't even got to contract management yet. But that's getting a little dry <laughs> for some people. So we'll move out of that. That's terrible. Instead, we'll move on to things like chatbots, which are really hot right now. Um, a lot of people want to learn how to do them. Um, but a lot of people from a business lens seem to want to understand them more, like what is their potential, what they can do for their customer experience, for example. Uh, With your kind of design and tech angle, I imagine that this plays right into your, you know, your sphere. Um, What are you doing in, in the world of chatbots? Yeah, well, we've got a we've got a great little event coming up um, at the end of the month. Uh, and we've dubbed it uh, conversational design, uh, and looking at basically all the different interfaces that are there aside from the screen. So, chatbots is a great example. Obviously, the Internet of Things is there. Um, the the home devices where we're talking about conversational design, Siri and Google Home, and that sort of stuff is there as well. And of course, wearables in the form of watches and heart rates and all the rest of it. And you know, designers are finding that they're designing for um, uh, interfaces that aren't the screen anymore, which is is sort of fascinating in itself. Um, so, and, and and within all of these sort of areas, uh, as you're saying, that the human-centered design approach is is very um, is very critical to creating uh, sound products because again, um, you're trying to work through the customer journey, you're trying to work through the pipeline, and understand you know the best way to do something. Maybe a chatbot is a good way to do something. Maybe it's not. Um, one of the interesting things, of course, is that you know we're not at the stage where computers and AI is, is, is strong enough to be able to, you know, do the job of a human, but perhaps there is a perhaps there is a part of the pipeline where the, the chatbot does um, work and then, it, you know, it might triage or it might point people to different areas or, or um, solve one part of the problem. Mm. I think, yeah, finding a, a way for chatbots to actually be relevant when people think, oh, let's just get one for the hell of it, I think it's probably a great thing to learn. Uh, one other thing that I'm noticing in the um, awesome list of things that are coming up, um, designing healthier workplaces and how to beat the burnout. Like that's something that I think we all need to be really conscious of. What 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 entails uh, a course that teaches that kind of thing? Well, yeah, this one is, uh, is, is being proposed to us by um, a terrific um, Melbourne leader of the name Dara Simkin and she is uh, an ex sort of uh, business coach and now um, very, very interested in the idea of integrating creative thinking and um, even elements of improvisation and drama and comedy and various different things into um, the workplace to try and um, create to create uh, a bit of balance, as you're saying. Um, so, in terms of a course, we, you know, we're not we're not offering that at this stage. Perhaps Dara would be a good person to talk to in that instance. But it clearly is a problem, and it clearly is uh, something that needs to be considered when often that we hear uh, that all the elements around startup start sort of um, methodologies and practices are. are, are all about productivity and advancement and everybody just latches onto them, assuming that they will improve business practices, you know, just by default. There are obviously um, uh, negative and, and potentially uh, destructive sides to it as well. And, and we all know that burnout is is an element of that. So this, this uh, panel will look at unpacking some of those ideas. It'll look at, um, you know, how workplaces are changing and developing and, and the different sort of work work that we're going to be doing in the future with the rise of automation and all of that. And just, and, and I suppose, look at some actionable techniques about how, how we can help ourselves, being 
Yes, how, how we can help <laughs> ourselves to um, uh, try and stave it off, I suppose. That sounds really good in a world that can't tell me whether a stand-up desk is a healthy change or well, not lately. Mm. Yeah, it's like, is it bad for blood pressure and hypertension or is it great for mobility or is it rough on our feet or, yeah, we just don't know anymore. Um, so I like the idea of taking a design approach to that. Indeed. You have a tilt brush tournament coming up. Now, I don't know how many of us have, have played with tilt brush. I've not. You've not? I'm, I'm unaware of the term. Oh, mm. excellent. You are in for some fun because um, for anyone out there who hasn't tried tilt brush, it's this amazing um, tool which you can use to paint in virtual reality. It's like when you first get the little paint app and you're doing it in 2D and that's amazing. It blows your mind because you've never seen anything better. Imagine when you put the headset on and you start painting around yourself in circles and your drawing skills still aren't any better, but <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Um, how have you designed this event, Tim? Well, look, this is um, this is a lift from our Sydney offices and I can't take credit for it and credit must go to Alexis and the team up there. But you're absolutely right. It is, it is a mind-blowing... Um, uh, program and, and it was one of those things when, when you're looking at VR, you sort of go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, and then you see that and you're like, okay, that's pretty cool. And it, it, it I think that it sort of trebles or, or, or to the power of something your capacity to draw. Um, if you can't draw in 2D, like I can't, I'm terrible as well, um, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so it, it's, it's even even harder in there. But basically the way that this is going to work, we're going to have three um, tilt brush setups with um, the HTC Vive. Uh, we're going to have big screens so the audience can uh, watch what people are drawing. Uh, you're going to get about three to five minutes to draw. We're going to have a panel of judges there from, you know, Melbourne's favourite festivals, Pause Fest and HTC going to be down there and the virtual reality content creators and, and they will be putting the final um, prizes on the artworks. But basically it's, again, it's free for everybody to join. Just jump on jump online and, and sign up and, and more than anything else, it's a bit of fun and uh, very, very uh, a fun thing to, to try out. Excellent. I really highly recommend that people get along to an event like that just to check out, you know, what VR is offering us. Tim, it's been incredible uh, hearing about all these events coming up. Dan, did you have any more questions? No, no, I'm fine. I'm just I'm really intrigued by the whole tilt brush thing. I really <laughs> want to get involved with it. If people want to find out more about Academy XI, where should they go? Well, you can go to www.academyxi.com. Excellent. And I think now is such a great time of year to be thinking about upskilling yourself when you're going to enter the quiet summer period, the theoretically quiet summer period, which I'm hoping <laughs> exists. Um, Tim, thanks so much for your time tonight. 7.48 on Triple R. You're on Bite Into It with, well... You're listening to Bite Into It with Dan <laughs> and Vanessa. I wish you were on it. I think of you as being on it. You're on it with us on this journey this evening as we come up on Weird News of the Week. Um, Weird News of the Week, famously Warren's um, amazing segment idea for where do we put that odd story that seems a little too <laughs> trivial to whack up the front in the, in the news proper. This week, we come to you from Wired Mag, favourite, and uh, there's been an an article there um, from Andy Greenberg, who's there, who covers a lot of security issues for Wired. Uh, and it's all about the iPhone X and its ability to unlock the phone with a face. 
Theoretically, it sounds like, you know, almost the unbreakable code, you know, like... Look, it's, yeah, it's not You're going to be cutting off people's faces to crack hack into their phones. That's yeah. probably excessive. Yeah, but also the whole you're asleep and someone holds it up to you and they've dealt with those sort of issues. You know, they've tried to think about things and mitigate them, you know, that you can't use a photo because it's not alive enough and doesn't have some movement and it, it won't work if your eyes are closed so that, you know, you can't hold it up to someone while they're asleep. So they've tried to think about things at Apple. Mm-hmm. However... <laughs> and very, it's a big however. A very specific hacker has managed to uh, unlock the phone of someone with his face uh, that wasn't his phone and it wasn't the phone of a twin. Now, they've, ident- they've identified they have some trouble with identical twins. But it was the phone of his mother. Fascinating. This is so, interesting. So there's a family and um, there's a mum and a dad and their fifth grade son and the son has um, has actually been told that he looks more like his dad than his mother. But he was able to unlock his mum's phone. And so his parents are pretty shocked at this. At first they thought it was funny, but then they're like, oh no, this is this is not a good thing. We, we don't want our kid being able to look at anything on our phones if we just leave them around mm-hmm. and, uh, and being able to accidentally buy things or you know, all those risks that um, having five-year-olds yeah. <laughs> accessing, accessing kids. Oh, sorry, his fifth grade, so a 10-year-old. 10-year-old, yeah. A 10-year-old. Yeah, it's um, it's it's worrying. I'm, I'm actually watching the video on YouTube, and you can you can watch the video of the ten uh, year old son opening his mum's phone. So they they were quite they took quite a scientific approach. These parents they mm. went, okay, well, what's going on here? And they they thought about it and they went, we took this photo, the photo, well, well the the screenshot, you know, to. To teach the phone how to identify the mother mm. in a room with quite low light, not a lot of natural light. So they tried a few different types of capturing of her security face information and it didn't always um, create problems with her son's face. It was really only when the quality of the image was a bit lower because of poorer light mm. that uh, the phone was uh, making mistakes more often. Interesting. But even more interesting than that was that once it had started to mistake her son's face for hers, it started to, you know, it's got a bit of AI there, it started oh. to adapt a bit and then it would open it under even more circumstances. So, it, you know, at the start they were like, if my son's face is very particularly like this, you know, the same angle, blah, 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 the same sort of light, then we can unlock it but once that's happened it learns mm, and it's it, as, as time goes on it, it's it's you know it's adapting to the new face or the, and, the, the well, same face and it's designed to do yeah. this because we age of, of course this is amazing <laughs> i mean it is quite quite amazing the the depth of design um challenges that this this story brings up absolutely although i find it very hard to believe that apple is designing a phone that it expects you to own for more than a year to age <laughs> that doesn't sound like something apple would do it's the, it's the very the very minor aging maybe it's maybe it's more to deal with the day-to-day, you know, you get a tan oh. one day and your phone won't unlock anymore. You know what I mean? Maybe yeah, it's to do with a like certain that. amount of moderation. You've got particularly big bags under your eyes today. You get a pimple one day, it's still, you know, it imagine like if, if it yep. wouldn't unlock your phone. <laughs> it must allow a certain amount of variance. You would hope so. <laughs> it, it is a quite a fascinating issue and... Um, yeah, they, they certainly tested it well. So if you're interested in that or if you think you've got a family member who looks a lot like you and you end up getting an iPhone X, please oh. do some experiments and tweet at us at Bite Into It. Let us know if you've had some funny experiences of facial recognition. Absolutely. I, I would be very interested in seeing if this becomes a common problem. Yes.
Cool. And in opportunities this week, In Dan. opportunities, Vanessa, early bird submissions for Melbourne Web Fest are currently open. Now, we've spoke to uh, Steiner Ellingson, with the, the director of Melbourne Web Fest, the last three or four years. We, uh, Web Fest is a fantastic celebration of local and international web uh, video content. Uh, they have uh, been uh, involved a lot with... Uh, awards and um you know groundbreaking new stuff uh, they, they, they were champions of the catering show they were champions of uh Bondi under donner hipsters. and the bondi hipsters yeah. they, they've got generally um and they've built their uh program year on year and it's just getting better and better um so yeah early bird submissions for melbourne web fest are currently open but are closing on the 30th of november if you uh can get yourself together uh with an in- with a submission for melbourne web fest by then it the uh cost is only 50 dollars. so um get get on board it's it's a fantastic uh, uh week weekend mm, few mm. days of um local and international web uh, web content and web video talent. So, um, and, you know, you, you may get famous out of it. Who yeah, knows? submissions will still be open later than that, but it will just cost you a little bit more Absolutely. the further you go along. Uh, and tomorrow night, uh, Buzz Conference Technology Festival are having a night about VR, 3D printing, robotics, machine-generated art, insertables and ninjas. This is going to be at Loop Bar from 6 till 9pm. That's Thursday the 16th. Uh, check it out on meetup.com if you're interested in BuzzConf events. Indeed. Uh, this Saturday, the 18th of November, if you're a senior, earlier in the show we uh, talked about the new Be Connected program, which is aimed at getting uh, seniors online and involved in the digital society. Uh, so if you are a senior, um, you are invited to the Richmond Community Learning Centre from 10 to 11am this Saturday, the 18th of November for Tea, Talk and Technology. Uh, it's a free event connecting seniors to experienced technology trainers. So if you know someone who uh, is a bit older and uh, is interested in learning a little bit more about getting online or making the most of the digital uh, digital future, the digital present. Um, uh, maybe, maybe give them a nudge and let them know that this event is uh, is happening. You can jump on Eventbrite uh, to find the event. It is called uh, the, <coughs> excuse me, Tea Talk and Technology uh, down at the Richmond Community Learning Centre. And the next Hacker Nest Tech Social is on Wednesday the 29th of November from 6 till 9pm at Inspire 9. Entry is by donation. It's a fun, relaxed way to connect with your local tech community. We love the local tech community. All our events seem to be like, it's local tech community. That's my head with community. That's what it's all about. What's great about Hacker Nest events is that they are agenda free. There are no sales pitches and they are full of interesting people. Uh, so if you are interested in something based in Richmond and Inspire 9, and getting along to talk hacking and tech, then Hacker Nest Tech Social is for you. Absolutely. Big thank you to our guest tonight, Tim Bright from Academy XI. Do check out Academy XI's events at academyxi.com. And uh, a big thank you, Dan, for being with me tonight. Thank you very much. I thought I might jump into one last story. Um, Earlier in the year, Bill Gates was warning about smart machines replacing human workers. Um, A new study from the Brookings Institute has uh, used the government data to work tasks on track, sorry, to track how the use of digital tools has changed in a wide range of occupations between 2002 and 2016. Um, It's it's basically saying that uh, if you're worried about uh, robots taking your job, it's time to learn about spreadsheets. (laughs) That's amazing because of all the areas that you'd like to automate, like automate those pivot tables. Absolutely. Oh, man. Automate. taking the insights out of spreadsheets. Oh, if, uh, as soon as I found if uh, stuff in Excel, it just changed my life. If statements, 
Brief yes. statements, that's the word. I don't, yeah, I'm clearly a noob when it comes to these things. You're always learning, Vanessa. I feel like learning. Google Sheets is actually trying to do that quite a lot with their automatically generated insights. They're just not very good at the mm, moment. No. But, but they'll get more they'll sophisticated. Get, it's Google. They'll, they'll get good very quickly. <laughs> Thank you for listening to us tonight. We've been bite into it and we'll be back next Wednesday evening. Stay tuned tonight for the International Pop Underground with Anthony Carew up in just a moment. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.